Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we're back. Welcome to Keep It. I am banned from Twitter. (laughs) That you are. (laughs) You really are. Oh my God. The videos I've seen of people taking that tweet seriously. (laughs) The things that you have done to the internet today, Ira. I, so for the uninitiated, I did pretend to be Beto O'Rourke on Twitter this week. Mm -hmm. And this follows when you pretended to be Amy Coney Barrett once also. Yes. Yes. Truly days prior. Which equals to two suspensions in one week. Is that correct? Yes. I was briefly suspended after pretending to be Amy Coney Barrett and um, saying one gotta go. Using that meme with Obamacare, <laughs> voting rights, um, Planned Parenthood, and gay rights. And uh, <laughs> then I like invited Chris Pratt to church. Mm-hmm. You've he had followed such me. a week on that I know, bird I know. app. By the way, we also won the presidential election. This actually yes. is like That's a secondary that story. That too, okay. that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all around the election. They know we won. We're excited. Mm-hmm. Lewis. All right. <laughs> I was briefly suspended for one day for Amy Coney Barrett. Mm-hmm. Then it's election eve. <laughs> we are waiting. Like people are voting. Next day is election day. Um, we're seeing the results coming in. And I am like, you know what? If Texas goes blue, I'll drop my nudes. And I tweeted that as Beto. Mm-hmm. In 20 minutes, Twitter suspended me. <laughs> Oh, wow. I'm, impre- I'm actually was, impressed by them. I was tweeting through the night as Amy <laughs> Coney Barrett. But <laughs> this time, they were like, you, <laughs> like, we've had enough of you. And do they not give you an update on how long it lasts? As far as I know, they do not tell you. So mm. I still can't log in. And also, my burner account is suspended. Oh, that's oh really God. interesting. Wouldn't have guessed. But also, yeah. by the way, I just want to say my favorite thing about this is now Ira has like a little newsletter people can subscribe to. Like this bitch is reduced to a pamphlet. Which <laughs> like, <laughs> He's girl, releasing fucking common sense every yeah. week. <laughs> girl, I'm not sitting in a pediatrician's office. I'm not reading that shit. <laughs> uh, it's actually a resurgence of a newsletter. I used to have one. And now it's back. Isn't it nice, though, to channel your energy, like the loose energy we put into tweets, into something that's conclusive that people can read all the way through? Or are you feeling It lost? is. No, it kind of is. It's kind of relaxing to be gone. And it's been fun to see just the reactions to that. Food Network's Alton Brown, for instance, <laughs> went on a rant against Beto, calling him a clown, um, talking about the tweet, uh, and saying he hates him, he is, not at yeah. all realizing that it was fake. <laughs> Alton Brown? Yes! Yes, Alton Brown lost his fucking mind. He lost his mind. Well, you duped me too when I was going through it. I quote tweeted it without even realizing it was the co-host of the podcast that I'm on and put like, yes, I'm trying, I'm trying to get those Beto nudes. Let's go, Texas. And I realized, you know. <laughs> It's just you and your fuckery. So <laughs> the follow-up 
Bob Treat as as Grande is the real LOL. Thank it's very you. Funny. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Snopes wrote it out. Oh yeah. Oh that. See. Oh my God. That's some high school glamour for me. Because you wow. would go to Snopes.com wow. wow. to wow. learn like, did Marilyn Manson really suck his own dick and take his ribs out? <laughs> you know. So that's like the big news. <laughs> yeah. I remember that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard Gere and the gerbil. All those. Yeah. 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 Is Josh yeah. Saviano from the Wonder Years secretly Marilyn Manson? All those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, we don't need to check Snopes to learn that we have a new president. Woo! That we do. I mean, unless, of course, Bill Barr does the four things he can do to ruin everything. But I feel like the goodness of history is on our side. I hope he does the fifth thing, falls down the stairs and breaks his neck. Likewise. (laughs) That bastard is the Tootsie Pop owl now. Um, That's the nicest thing I can say about him. A one... A two, a three, chomp. A three. (laughs) Of course, last week we did an early episode because we did not want to deal with any election bullshit. And now we have Republican bullshit to deal with, but we do have a new president-elect, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., I did not know that was his middle name. Wait, no, I'm learning right now. This is, this is news. <laughs> Somehow I just missed the R stood for Robinette. That was weirdly a question on the last episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire 2, and they had a bunch of weird suggestions. Um, and Robinette was the only one that looked familiar to me, so I got it right. Mm. But like, Robin, no, I mean, Robinette sounds like a one-hit wonder from 1993. Yeah, it sounds like his, back, it sounds like his backing band, like Joe Biden and the Robinettes. <laughs> Phil Spector arranged this group. I got it because I read a 1988 profile of Joe Biden in the Washington Post when he first ran for president. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to win this thing. And gosh darn it, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Just took him a minute. It's like how um, Dippin' Dots claims we're the ice cream of the future. And then it's like, well, no, you're not. It hasn't occurred yet. But it could still. They still have Dippin' Dots at Six Flags. So they were right, yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden, the Dippin' Dots of America. <laughs> I forgot about that nitrogen ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, we are going to talk quite a bit more about this election, about our new president-elect, Dippin' Dots, about <laughs> Kamala Harris, our vice president-elect. Uh, we're going to talk about everyone thirsting over Steve Kornacki and various other cable news personalities. We have strayed so far from God. <laughs> Truly. No, we're not coming happened. back, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to pay our respects to Alex Trebek. Oof. What a whiplash-ass weekend for me, guys. <sighs> My know. God. In a washing yeah. machine, we are. Mm-hmm. And I have a fantastic conversation with the founder of the African American Policy Forum and the woman who coined the term intersectionality more than 30 years ago. That is Professor Kimberly Crenshaw. We'll be right back. Let me paint this scene. It is late Friday night. There is nothing coming in still. Mm -hmm. It is a slow drip towards the finish. I remember Tuesday night, I'm together with like my roommate and a couple of friends. I don't remember what point in the week I saw you, Lewis. Uh, Was it just Saturday? 
I think so. Because we were watching the Kylie situation. Yes. Kylie had a live concert event, or not a pre-taped concert event, but anyway. And it was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was a wonderful way to celebrate Joe Biden becoming president-elect that Saturday morning, which I remember happened around like 8.30 LA time. We're all, we went to bed because I was like, you know what? It's like 2, 3 a.m. I can't do this anymore. No, right. I, I was up late too. Yeah. And by the way, I paid the price because I wasn't awake for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same. 8.30, finally fall asleep. Like I went to bed at like 3.30 and didn't even fall asleep till like 5.30 because I'm just restless. Mm-hmm. 8.30, I hear faint sounds of cheering. Some of them sound like they're right next to me. <laughs> And some of them sound so far off in the distance. And as we all know, I moved into um, Beachwood Canyon. And so I get up, open my window, and I'm hearing just cheering from far places in the canyon. And I'm like, you know what? This is it. I run downstairs. You didn't immediately uh, assume that Breakfast Club was on TBS or something? I run downstairs. A friend of mine had slept over on the couch, actually. And so we turned on the TV, and I am sobbing. Mm. I finally popped that bottle of Vuv that I had in the fridge. 8.30 a.m., the bottle is popped. Yeah, (laughs) drinking like Desi Arnaz. Another friend came over with another bottle. It was lit. When did you two discover? So I rolled out of bed at 1230, you know, in the most, because I was up until like maybe four in the morning, just kind of like shaking in the corner of my room by myself. Woke up and I I felt light. I didn't have any explanation for it, but I felt light. I was in a good mood. You know those mornings when there's just like an extra spring in your step and you're ready to Mm -hmm. like go about your day? I did that and I had no explanation for it. And then it was a quick Twitter opening to realize, oh, it is a collective happiness that is awash over all of LA. That is making me feel good. So yes, I did find out late, but alone and got to celebrate and started drinking alone and then joined my friends. <laughs> I think I missed it by about 20 minutes. I'm not somebody who sleeps in a lot, so I actually am pretty disappointed in myself okay, in Lewis. that regard. Okay, Lewis. Well, <laughs> she is always up chopping wood. Oh, yes. <laughs> Get, getting the eggs from the hen house. <laughs> Somebody's got to make that milk. Yeah, no, we need butter for the rolls. Making supper at 3 p.m. Imagine me making food. Imagine. It wasn't just a feeling like something had lifted. It was like that weird feeling of four days of what seemed like suspense in the right direction actually paying off. And I'm so used to that feeling not paying off, Mm -hmm. you know, so used to feeling like, oh, right, we did the right thing again. Oh, actually, we went back 70 steps or whatever. So when that happened... I immediately tweeted, like, if you're in a conga line screaming along with traffic, stay in line. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'll I'll never forget it. Even though, you know, it was just a humdrum Saturday morning otherwise. And I live near a major thoroughfare in Los Angeles and just the actual noise of everyone. Like, there was not, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I personally, where I live, did not see one Trump person. So it just felt like, the world had turned on its head, even though I live in like a liberal bubble where everybody owns Carly Rae Jepsen's entire discography. <laughs> uh, I definitely met some of Lewis and I's friends in West Hollywood, and it was such a stark contrast to like the other public events we've had during the pandemic, right? You know, it was mm-hmm. not somber, um, like the Black Lives Matter rally. Um, it was a different kind of celebration and an energy that I just had not felt 
in years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we all remember where we were in 2016. We've talked about it. We talked about it last week. This was just like another new, like we will remember where we were when we crawled ourselves out of this hole. When black women crawled us out of this hole, to be exact. Yeah, the true heroines of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, Aida. Latinas were the true heroines of this election, according to Ava Largoria. <laughs> Gabrielle Solis. Ava Largoria better be so happy that I was not on Twitter because I had Desperate Housewife meme <laughs> on meme on meme to pull out. Um, Haunt her like Catherine Justin. <laughs> After she was on TV with Hip Hop Melbourne, um, telling him <laughs> that Latinas won this election, when actually they were very key in some battleground states, but we're not going to forget about Florida, Mm-mm. ma'am. So y'all go get it together. Speaking of Desi Arnaz. <laughs> How about that? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are talking about the fact that once again, Black voters, you know, came out. Um, they were mentioned finally in Biden and Harris's um, speeches on Saturday, you know, about being the backbone of our democracy. And, um, you know, I was reading an article by um, a friend, Taylor Crumpton, who I adore, um, just about how, yes, that happened again. But now this time, um, this time we got to switch it up. Finally, white people felt a lot of the disenfranchisement that black people have had since they were brought to this country, to be honest. Now we need to like really start thinking about like how we're voting, voting in a humane way, and um, creating policies that just sort of like help people. You know, it wasn't just this election. Days before, we got great news that like Jackie Lacey was gone from Los Angeles, George Gascon. Um, replaced her, um, and he just had a talk with Black Lives Matter activists last night about reopening some cases of police killing civilians. You know, we have Nithia, mm-hmm. who was on the show. She fucking won. Speak on it. Who was like the wonderkind that you will ever meet Ugh. or watch. I mean, like, I hate calling people inspirational because everybody calls everything inspirational on Instagram. Mm. But man, <laughs> for someone to be that incisive... Don't drag Cleo Wade, Lewis. I know. <laughs> no, she's it. Yeah, right. She's it. She is uh, brilliant, and every moment of insight turns into something actionable and turns into policy. And she's just, thank God we picked her. That that would have been a whole different version of depressing had she not been chosen. And that is my thing about what this election sort of portends for the future, right? I remember the LA Times being like, David Ryu is who we're endorsing, right? And they were like, we love Nithya's policies and it would be great for him to enact them. Not her. It'd be great for him to enact her progressive policies. And that makes me think of the fact that we won and then sitting there watching cable news on Saturday, it was maybe less than an hour before cable news pundits are already dipping into the we need to start coalition building with Republicans. We need to do this. You know, like we need to be nice to people who won. You got Katy Perry tweeting shit like, I'm going to sit down with my family members who voted the other way and give them a hug and tell them I love them. 
No. No, there are never like, Trumpers like, who voted Republican the rest of the way down, and they gave us even more problems. Like, go fuck them. <laughs> fuck them. There was an amazing tweet by uh, this guy, Kevin Farzad, who said, these are people who literally voted for a fascist for, like, a little tax break. Right. Yeah. You know, like, does that sound like values to you? What the fuck is the point of being alive if you're voting for that? Yeah. Truly, mm-hmm. you want other people's lives to be worse. Your, your vote is about the exclusivity of living a better life than other people. That is it. Mm-hmm. And hoarding like 40% more of your money, at the very least, when you're already inundated with enough. <laughs> Los Angeles, too. You know, mm-hmm. Beverly Hills went completely Trump. I j- was able to see recently a screener of the new David Fincher film, Mank, which is Ooh. fantastic. Cannot but, wait to see it. It's <laughs> so fucking great. But it's about like... The 30s, when like Upton Sinclair, who was a socialist, um, became the Democrat candidate um, for governor in California and lost just because like a bunch of Hollywood Republicans were like, um, we don't want to give our money away to people, you know? And it was seeing so much of the same rhetoric now that was in place then. And Fincher actually had a great interview in Vulture with Mark Harris just about the fact that um, it was easier to get the film made now. Because, like, the talk of fake news and, like, those fake um, Sinclair videos that they made to trick people in Los Angeles, that wasn't on people's radars, like, a few years ago, right? And now we all know what it is. And yet people still voted for that shit. And you still have people, like, trying to fight with, like, AOC on Twitter post-election, even though she's pointing out that um, people like the Lincoln Project didn't really do shit. Um, Well, Well, you know, AOC's hair is pulled back, so she must be mean. Uh, I mean, like what, like, what is the obsession with her? It's so insane. By the way, I just want to say about Mank, it's about um, making a Citizen Kane, and it's written by David Fincher's late father, who died, yes. like, years and years ago. So he, it may be a posthumous screenplay nominee, and apparently there's a ton of amazing buzz for Amanda Seyfried, whose name oh. rhymes with my bread, which I didn't know until recently. Louis, um, she's coming for the Oscar. I'm, that is a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. She is so fucking brilliant in that movie, and it's like, she's always brilliant. You forget about it because of Mamma Mia. Um, but even though <laughs> no, she, she was wonderful it. in um, First Reformed, and yeah, um, I mean, obviously Mean Girls, you know, Jennifer's Body, yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but back to that thing I was saying, too, it's just the idea that we do not want to vote humanely in a way where we care about people, right? You know, and you have Democrats and other people already coming out with their whole like, um, well, this is what lost us the election. You know what it was? It was talking about um, defunding the police. It was talking about Medicare for all. And I'm like, actually, every senator who didn't support Medicare for all lost their fucking race. So Mm -hmm. maybe, just maybe, when we talk about the fact, too, that, like, black women and um, other minorities being, like, the backbone of our democracy, these are people who are the most disenfranchised in America, and they are turning up in numbers to vote to save themselves so that they can have some semblance of, like, a good life in this country, you know? And, like, we we all turned out for Joe and um, Kamala because we know that, like, they're better than fascism. You know, but people are not under any illusion that like they're going to fix things overnight. There are plenty of things that we're going to have to criticize them about. Joe already talking about like how we have to like reach across the aisle to Republicans. I'm like, no, old man, I will slap the ice cream out of your hand if you do that. (laughs) People show up in these battleground states for progressive reasons, and we need to support that. But let's talk about what this week was really about, which is 
getting horny for cable news pundits. Um, oh, God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Kornacki, I'll allow, because he was at that map. He was looking like a white Olivia Pope. Um, <laughs> no. Just constantly putting things up there. Uh, I was waiting for Motown music to play. <laughs> no, wait. He, he, my question about him is, first of all, I didn't realize... Like ninety nine percent of my friends would be watching MSNBC. That was a surprise. Yeah, to me. nor did like, I. I thought, oh, you know, you think same. of insular experience, then you get online and cor- like tr- tracking Kornacki is trending. I lost myself. Right. Well, I watched MSNBC. Wait, do you mean regularly or during the election? During the election, but it seemed mm-hmm. like everybody had been watching MSNBC anyway, and then tuned into MSNBC for the election. I just instinctively turned to CNN. I don't have a cable news oh, viewing habit. Because I don't I feel watch like it is CNN. Maddening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want CNN because those fuckers put Rick Santorum on TV. And, and they still gonna, do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was not about to watch that bitch talk about anything having to do with the election. I thought um, the one good thing that Dan Savage did was get rid of him. I know. Like, literally, his name is now synonymous with, like, we, we know what it's synonymous with. Look it up. <laughs> This is a safe for work episode. But what's what's weird is like everybody agree, agreed on Steve Kornacki being the internet boyfriend. When on CNN, this guy Phil Mattingly, who was doing just as much pointing and number explaining, struck a similar profile. He kind of seemed like the new gym teacher who just wants to do a good job. Um, he was sort of like my crush. And then, of course, I became obsessed with, you know, this woman, Caitlin Collins, who... yeah. This is a woman who, I, it took me forever. She has kind of like, she, she just looks amazing on camera and she does a really good job analyzing everything. But she looks, she has an 80s glam about her in terms of face structure. Like she looks like mm-hmm. Katarina Vitt to me. It took me a long time to come up with that name. I almost said Princess Stephanie of Monaco. That's not it. <laughs> and also she dresses in a blazer and turtleneck. That's the kind of crush I have. When you look like you're about to graduate from Radcliffe in 1972, when you look like you were in the movie Love Story, that is what I like. <laughs> um, so I came late to the Steve Kornacki thing. Aida, were you into anybody? I'm mad about the Steve Kornacki situation because now I have to explain to my child in 2050 why Chart Throb is in Marion Webster and it's all because of this very sexy, sexy, khaki-clad man. Like, I don't want to have to explain that to my child. And Gap, if you're listening, like, endorse that man. (laughs) Give him something. (laughs) Get rid of the mannequins. I have a question about that, which is this. Now, as you know, it's been years since I've walked a runway, but... Yes, yeah, out of practice. I, like most other, you know, gay men my age, and a little bit up and a little bit below, will drop a quick 70 at Zara... For three pairs of pants, and it'll be, you know, khaki, olive, and burgundy for fall. Bitch, I can't fit nothing at Zara. Okay, well, <laughs> get, get on my level. Should I sass you? I don't know. Um, would I then wear those pants on CNN? The answer is no. I don't think I would. I am a little disappointed in him in that regard. I don't believe women have that option to go that casual. Mm. So mm. in a way, I felt like he was flouting. He's a man of the people. What do you expect from a man whose Instagram handle is like Steve and then seven numbers? It's like 01450, which is like early onset serial killer behavior, first of all. And then every <laughs> post is like postcards of horses and landscapes. And he likes sports. Like I'm sure he's a fluke in the gay community. I wouldn't have believed that he was a gay man. Yeah. I mean, he seems wonderful. Yes, you guys are a monolith to me. Yeah. <laughs> He's a little John Lovett-esque. Oh, good oh. point. Good point. John do be wearing them athletic shoes. Yeah, you know, like, at, hmm. any, at any point, a police officer will ask them to help solve crimes for eight years on a CBS procedural. That right. kind of game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that men 
on cable news do um, dress a little too cash. The, the aforementioned Rick Santorum was wearing Converse. Was he? Someone was taking photos of it, like, underneath the table he had Converse on. I mean, the only ones really dressing appropriately are, like, Anderson Cooper and Daddy Cuomo. The only Cuomo that That's I true. approve of thirsting over. Mm. <laughs> His brother can go fuck himself. But right, right. Uh, Chris Cuomo is a man. You know Don Lemon's just under the desk barefoot. <laughs> That's something he would do. <laughs> you know what I'm so worried about with Don Lemon? I'm worried if his transformation into like, you know, I've read some Angela Davis, mm-hmm. um, at least, you know, the, the the table of contents, and I am pro-black. Yes, got a sada on the, on the nightstand, yes. I am wondering if that was just because Trump was so awful, and we we're literally facing a fascist, right? Mm-hmm. Now with Biden as president, are we going to go back to the Don Lemon that compared himself to James Baldwin? And was asking women um, why they didn't just um, bite off the penis of the man who was trying to rape them. Are we going to get that Don Lemon back? Oh, we had repressed that to like the trauma part of our brain where we don't <laughs> hold memories anymore. Yeah, you but just unlocked something. I had forgotten. I'm worried, Lewis. <laughs> we literally documented the transformation of Don Lemon in our first episodes of Keep It. Oh, well, I mean, wow. Like, it was a wow. shock to us then. And I would be very shocked if, like, now we get a return to form. Well, I mean, I, I am thinking about how certain types of media will change just in the next few months anyway. Like, for instance, my job. Mm. I mean, I'm sure Trump will continue to exist. It's, like, foolish to think, oh, it, things will radically transform in a way where we won't be talking about him. Or we won't be talking about some version of insanity, yeah. you know, that's, like, a tentacle away from him or whatever. Well, crooked media is done. They closed up shop. <laughs> oh, they are. Oh, phew. <laughs> We're going to we're going to Wondery. <laughs> um, no, you know, I think that is sort of what I was talking about before. You know, uh, the idea that this isn't over; it's never, never really over. Um, mm. There was that idea that if Hillary had won, things would have been great. You know, we would have been living in fucking Candyland mm-hmm. and walking past a chocolate fountain every day. Uh, but. Now, one, thank God we actually have this, like, the Georgia runoffs um, to focus on. Yeah, shout out Stacey Abrams, which we haven't mentioned yet, but she's oh, yes. Yes. The, the core of everything. Queen fucking Stacey Abrams and the other black women that she worked with to get mm-hmm. out the fucking vote. That's why I hate when people hop on social media and are like, oh, thank God, Lincoln Project, you put up a billboard in New York. I'm like, okay, Stacey, let's talk about you actually, like, getting over 800,000 people registered to vote. Like, being on the ground, doing yeah. work, and not sharing real housewives memes. <laughs> and you can still find time to talk about Buffy, because she has the right opinion, by the way. Spike was better for Buffy than Angel. Oh, here we go. She tweeted that recently. That's all I have to say. She's right. She's right. She is. She is really right. I, I, Stacey Abrams can do whatever she wants. I will start running her campaign for her right now for 2024 if she's ready. Like, I, I, I'm very passionate about her, and she can do no wrong. She reminded us that black people in the South are actually people who need love and care and time and deserve that, and voter suppression needs to be fought in those areas, not for us to neglect black people in the South. So props to Georgia. And when you focus on black people in the South, 
we can help them and give them the tools to turn out for the vote um, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, when we sort of ignore them and go, uh, everyone in the South is Trump country or backwards. I just want to add also that your uh, comment about her Buffy obsession, there's something when you hear people talk about the pop culture they love that to me is, it's not just that it's humanizing, it's like, oh, they're, they're used to being a thinking individual. Like, it mm-hmm. locks me into their decision-making in a way. I know that it just seemed like, oh, that's, that's a fun, you know, unimportant quality about her that she also happens to be this, you know, nerd in this way. But, like, when AOC is, like, playing her damn video games, I'm like, to me, that is someone who is serious about using her brain well and exercising <laughs> her brain, you know? Yeah. No, and it just reminds you that these are full three-dimensional people mm-hmm. who are in touch with their humanity and have something that they can tap into with other people, you know? I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's why people have listened to us yammer about these things for three years, right? You know, it's like we're all human beings who care about things like this and can think critically about so many other things, you know? I mean, when we think about fuckers like Lindsey Graham and shit, like, I don't think that he's able to watch anything on television. No, I, I don't no. see. I mean, like, that he has functioning organs or a heart. Maybe Big Bang Theory. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I'm dragging myself because I watch Big Bang Theory, but I think that's <laughs> as far as his brain can uh, comprehend. He also has to shut off at 8 p.m. to update his software every night. Like, how is he supposed to enjoy <laughs> television? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway. Did we hit all the thirst components of this, by the way? I guess we did. Oh, John King. And then I looked mm. up. I didn't realize he used to be married to Dana Bash. Then I was getting into the gossip of all that. They all seem like lovely people. And by the way, I just want to add that (laughs) Abby Phillip fucking killed it on CNN this weekend. I thought she was fabulous. I did watch some of that. Abby Phillip is amazing. I think she did a really good job. Uh, Also looks great, too. The women were truly just showing out. Mm -hmm. No, everyone was primed. Yes. Yeah, the the women and um, Chris Cuomo's um, arms. Oh right, I, I I actually did forget that he's like ripped or something, right? Yeah, and well, I mean he had jacket off when he was standing up there um, <laughs> talking, so he was he was ready to go out and fight Bill Barr if necessary. He also has kind of a bastardly humor, which is ultimately attractive. I'm so, I don't make the rules. <laughs> yeah. Also, final post note. Some the women on Fox News were kind of looking great. Okay, mm. and that could be cut out because <laughs> I t- I tuned no I tuned <laughs> I t- we tuned in because we wanted to see like how they would be reporting on it, and they actually were calling shit for Biden, and they called him president elect. The women, I just have to tell you, the slight glimmer in their eyes when they were talking about Kamala Harris. I was like, they have no choice but to stand. They really don't. <laughs> I I love it when they have no choice. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, when we're back, I'm going to continue this rousing election conversation with Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, and we'll talk a bit about what's next after this election. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see... Footprints in the sand. That was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to barefoot dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. 
With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today is a pioneer. After coining the term intersectionality more than 30 years ago, she has become one of the nation's foremost advocates for civil rights. She is a professor of law at UCLA and Columbia, the founder of the African American Policy Forum, and the host of the Intersectionality Matters podcast, and featured in this new documentary, Not Done, Women Remaking America. Please welcome Kimberly Crenshaw, Professor (laughs) Crenshaw. (laughs) Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. It's so exciting to talk to you today. <laughs> today. Uh, today. <laughs> well, we can hardly, <clears throat> from mm. screaming and yelling and all of that kind of stuff, this is great. It's like having a new outfit all ready to go and not sure that you have a place to wear it to. And then suddenly you get invited to a big old party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes! So thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I was truly thinking back to when we were scheduling this month's episodes, right? And I'm like, well, we're either going to be having that convo or <laughs> we're going to be having a different one. <laughs> I am telling you. And I really, you know, I was thinking about that a lot. Like everything that is scheduled this week we actually thought, well, are you really going to be up for it mm. if it's a replay of 2016? Because really, 2016, it took me out for about about 36 hours. Mm-hmm. We got our act together, but I hit the depths of despair. And I just didn't know if I had the energy for anything if that were to happen again. So, you know, it was it was a uh, it was a little nerve wracking last week when I thought, okay, what's my passport status? <laughs> <laughs> As if we can go anywhere. My bag ready? <laughs> I know, really. You know, that it's truly the fantasy. I'm just gonna leave. Like, yeah, where are you gonna go? Right? right? You got global nationalism happening around the world, largely you know, encouraged by what's happening here. So, Mm -hmm. you know, escape is really not an option. Confronting that last week was really scary. So I did say to one of my friends, the good news about it being so tight is that I really am more celebratory than I would have been Mm -hmm. had it just happened. Because then I would have said, okay, so right now we really got to struggle. At least there's a moment like, whoo! Yeah, (laughs) I truly think it was also the... 
added thing of um Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning. Like yeah. we knew where it was going, yeah. but it was still that slow drip of we got to get there first. And then I know, I know. For it to be Saturday morning, <laughs> which was sort of like, well, here it is for the weekend. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of perfect. It, it, given that it turned out the way it turned out. And I think this very uh, fragile coalition, the anti-Trump coalition, Mm -hmm. needed a bit of a head start Mm -hmm. uh, because it's going to be bumpy from here on in. So having these, you know, several days where we're all wishing for the same thing is maybe five steps together mm-hmm. right? in a journey that's going to be like a mile. So, you know, there, there are a lot of ways in which when you want something and you have to wait for it and you have to tarry for it and you have to look around and look at all the other people who are tarrying for it. There are many ways that that is the best way to experience something that hopefully will hold you together, give you some memories of what it felt like when we were all, you know, partying and mm. celebrating, you know, it's like the first part of a marriage. You hope the first part is really good because <laughs> the rest of it, you really are going to need to say, remember back when? <laughs> uh, will you take that cake out the freezer <laughs> a year right. later and see if it still tastes uh, good? Um, <laughs> you know, we, we were talking before we started too, just about how, 2016 and you know also the the documentary that you're in um not done women remaking america it starts you know sort of with the 2016 um that collective sort of despair that we all had yeah. i feel like for the past four years we've been walking in it and really just sort of like always sharing where were you you know like i remember i was in new york working for mtv news at the time and as the night is happening we're like we're leaving our live event and i'm like in my hotel didn't get up until like 6 p.m the next day just like in bed lights still off like i'm not moving and now we have this which is a new where you were story we were talking about the the marches right you know and uh i said the march in los angeles much of a weirder, surreal experience seeing people celebrating in the streets, like drinking champagne, you know, like um, just some people in less mass too than like there were for the Black Lives Matter march um, on Pride that sort of ended up there. And, you know, it's this seeing the difference in the police presence. And I'm like, is this the new change now? Can we get them on board? I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was just weird yeah. to see, you know? It sounds like it. Well, you know, um, as I was thinking back about my where I was in 2016, you know, first of all, I was so happy because... You know, I went to vote and John Sally was there and we took a picture together. I was like, man, this is going to be the best day ever. I met like one of my heroes and, you know, a woman's going to be elected president of the United States. And I was just feeling myself and came on home and turned on the TV because, you know, fixed myself a big old plate of food to eat. And Mm -hmm. that plate was sitting there like 36 hours later (laughs) because I could not put a thing in my mouth. I was just Mm -hmm. like, no, this cannot happen. This can't be this. I just, and then just really recognizing what it meant that it happened, you Mm -hmm. know, what we were in for that it happened. And I have to say that, 
you know, even to have gotten optimistic for me in 2016 was was a journey because I was afraid from the beginning that Donald Trump was going to win. Mm-hmm. And some of the folks I work with, like Eve Insler and and Jane Fonda and some other artists together, we formed this thing called, you know, Dump Trump and said, look, this is really serious. We have to really get ready for this. And, you know, people were like, you know what, you guys are doing Chicken Little. You're, Mm. you know, the fact that you're giving him this attention is what's going to make it more likely, but it's not going to happen. So, you know, so many people saying it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the polls, oh, she's 10 points ahead. She's blah, 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 blah. So I talked myself into being optimistic. And that's almost the worst yeah. thing, right? When you have this sneaking feeling like this could be really bad, but then you allow yourself not to honor what your fear is. So being happy was against my instinct. And then it's like, Bam, you know, knock you in the head. So I was under the covers like you for for at least a day. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my team at APF, we said, look, no, we can't go down like this. So we rallied and pulled together um, a webinar, the beginning of our webinar. And we had like 14 people from all of the different social justice movements, each telling their story about what went wrong from their vantage point. Mm -hmm. So that really was the beginning that allowed us to have some place to go back to something to do for these four years. Cause we thought the worst thing that could happen is not to be oppressed, but to be oppressed and have your tongue ripped out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. So we have been talking, talking, talking up until like this very moment. So now it's a celebration because we've got, you know, uh, four years of chronicling what this, administration has done what it's been when people say why is it not done we have the receipts we can talk about not only a man who confessed to sexually assaulting women by grabbing their genitalia but we have someone who calls women dogs and uh, the new vice president a monster someone who's told more than 20,000 lies someone who I mean the list goes on and on and on Mm -hmm. so that's partly what's celebratory too that at least least there is a majority of Americans who could not tolerate the mix of what Trump was. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the fact that there's parties. And I love the fact that, as you said, we have evidence that the police don't have to be brutally abusive when people are celebrating and expressing their First Amendment rights. So we have mm-hmm. to say, what's the difference between when they do go and brutalize people and when they don't and make that um, something that people have to think about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just listening to I think your October 20th episode. You sort of had your black girl roundtable, you know, um, discussing the vice presidential debate. Yeah. Uh, and there was an interesting point that was brought up, too, about the fact that these people are incredibly incompetent. That is how you end up with Rudy Giuliani giving a speech at Four Seasons Landscaping, total landscaping instead of the Four Seasons. So perfect. You know, it's like, is that the Saturday Night Live version of it? No, no, that's the real version of it. It's like when they're so incompetent, we laugh at so many things they do, but it's also important to not treat them like a joke because they're really power hungry yeah, and um 
when yeah. we made the jokes yeah. prior to 2016 or like saying like people are going to die from this mm-hmm. it's 2020 the most literal version of that is covid-19 hit and people died Gross. from it yeah. and they're still dying yeah. and disproportionately it is black people um other people of color and black women you know and um mm-hmm. This brings me to asking you, you know, about um, when you coined the term intersectionality 30 years ago, what was it like politically for you then in that space where you were thinking of this word and like really first bring it to the forefront and discussing it with people? Mm-hmm. And what has changed now mm-hmm. for you in terms of how people are discussing that term? You know, when I first uh, used the term to capture the experience that Black women were facing in employment when they were being discriminated against, not just as women Mm -hmm. and not just as Black people, but as Black women, you know, specifically, I was confronting the fact that judges just didn't seem to understand that discrimination on the basis of race didn't just include experiences that black men face, but it also included women. Mm -hmm. And gender discrimination didn't just uh, address the ways that white women experienced it, but also, you know, the ways that uh, women who were not white experienced it. So in a way, it was kind of shocking to see how uninformed uh, courts were. Mm -hmm. And importantly, (laughs) how important courts were, because they were the ones that were deciding whether a black woman who couldn't get a job, say, at at GM or couldn't get promoted in an industrial space that had jobs for white women that were secretarial or, you know, front office, but they were not about trying to hire any black women, Mm -hmm. you know, in that pool. And they had jobs for black people, but they were heavy industrial jobs, you know, the dirty floor jobs. They weren't hiring women for that. Getting the courts to see that that, in fact, was discrimination. It was discrimination within discrimination. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, what are they not understanding? How can I explain it, you know, in a way that makes sense? What are some easily accessible metaphors that I can use to provide remedial training? you know, for supposedly very smart people because they're not being very smart about this. So the intersection just seemed to be an accessible way of explaining an idea that Black women had been talking about for a century, but it hadn't percolated up uh, in a way that judges could actually understand it. So that was the point, basically, to create a tool or a prism, something that they could look through to say, I don't understand what you're saying, Black women, so explain it to me like I'm a seven-year-old. Like, okay, here's intersectionality. I'm explaining it to you like you're a seven-year-old. You're going through (laughs) this intersection and you've got racism and you've got sexism. If you happen to encounter both of these at the same time as these Black plaintiffs are, then you've experienced an injury. So that that was the point. And I guess I would say that um, in the first you know, decade of intersectionality, it pretty much traveled within the legal sphere primarily mm-hmm. and eventually more the human rights arena and then across the academy and then far more globally. And, you know, people used to ask me, well, you know, can intersectionality be used to do fill in the blank? And I was like, it's not like those Fred Flintstone cartoons in which (laughs) it's a tool that tells you, I don't do windows. It's not that. It's like, 
you take the tool and use it to do the things that you want to do with it. So if you want to talk about, you know, being a Latinx woman who is looking for shelter because you've been abused and your local shelter doesn't provide bilingual services. Mm -hmm. Yes. Intersectionality explains where that gap came from and what needs to be done about it. If you are a person who is facing a disability and um, you are also working class. Yes, uh, intersectionality helps you understand that. But the point is that there's no small print that actually says it can only be used for this or it can only be used for that. Mm -hmm. Intersectionality is just trying to explain how power comes together in many different ways Mm -hmm. and give people a way of naming what that is and being able to fight that. So if the question now is what's different I think what's different is, first of all, it's grown much more common. Mm -hmm. It's powerful uh, ability to explain and give people a voice, a name for something they're experiencing has not only caught on among those who are using it, but also caught on among those who want to critique it and want to destroy it. So now it's part of the so-called cultural wars Mm -hmm. to the point that this last president really um, has tried to put a gag order on intersectionality, critical race theory, structural racism. Right now, there are people going through government documents and grant applications. And if they see the word intersectionality, they're crossing it out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people say you should be happy that, you know, a word has so powerful a concept has done work that the other side wants to take it out. I guess so, but I'd rather be able to take them out (laughs) rather than to take out the concept. Uh, Maybe, hopefully, they're spending more time shredding papers right now other than trying to (laughs) cross out (laughs) words. But um, speaking of that, you know, when Biden and um, Harris gave their um, first speeches um, Saturday, this was the first time we had candidates say, systemic racism the first time we'd had someone say transgender in a speech because obama was the first one to say gay in a speech Mm -hmm. and then of course now we have kamala harris on this stage you know the first woman vp and woman of color vp you know and it is so interesting watching back that documentary and like seeing like the hillary moment didn't happen um and then seeing kamala able to get through four years later, quicker than we might have assumed. What does this mean for us going forward? Yeah, well, it is another moment where the crashing of a glass ceiling happens in an unexpected way, which is the wonderful thing about the moment. And at the same time, It is going to be, I think, a very bumpy road going Mm -hmm. forward because the breakthrough is uh, symbolically far more significant to the opponents in terms of their belief Mm -hmm. that material things are going to happen and in this zero-sum game, which they think it to be, they are losing, right? They are losing big. Um, So if you look at Trumpism as a backlash to the Obama years, one would think that Obama went door to door to everybody's home and walked in and took, you know, all the valuables out of their houses. (laughs) 
and said, now take that, right? I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the sense of loss and the sense of we have suffered, like what really did masses of Trump voters suffer, you know, from the Obama presidency? It wasn't material. It was ideological. Mm-hmm. It was looking at the White House and seeing those people in it and feeling a personal sense of loss, mm-hmm. you know, because of that. So um, if we look back in our history, many times, and I think the most significant time that our country came to the brink is because of a perception of impending loss mm-hmm. from the election uh, of Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. right? It's not like Abraham said, and I'm going to jump up and take all your property, namely, I'm going to free the slaves. That's not what he said, and that, frankly, was not what he was about. Mm-hmm. But the fear of, oh, my God, you know, we're going to lose uh, something became that uh, straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. So I look at this moment and think, uh, I am happy as all get out that this glass ceiling has been shattered. I am uh, relieved beyond measure that we're not moving as quickly as it felt like we were to the edge and over. And I am also worried that the sense of now we're past the crises is actually part of the crises because mm-hmm. we are not past the crises. Yes. Um, if we look at our own history, things may get worse before they get better. Mm -hmm. And if we're not prepared for that, then we might not see it coming and be slow to name it when it arrives. Mm -hmm. And I'm just hoping that that spirit of partying also has with it a, a chaser of vigilance because this is the moment historically where our democracy is most in peril. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think mostly about signs at early marches, you know, that were like, if Hillary had won, we'd be able to be at brunch now, that sort of thing, right? Yes. And it's like, yeah. it was such an awful four years, but it's also a m- reminder of that, like, so many women running in 2018. You're like that snap back being like, oh, we have to do this. Really hoping that yeah. same energy is for this. And on the plus side, hopefully, yes. you at least have an administration who, when we march on Washington again, and we will need to, oh, we, we, we won't yeah. have Biden sending people to tear gas us. <laughs> I mean, and for us to have to say that, yeah. right? The silver lining is we won't be tear gas when we express our First <laughs> Amendment constitutional right to protest. It's like, wow, we did go there, didn't we? I mean, that did happen. And we cannot forget that it did happen. We cannot forget that lawlessness prevailed on the part of the state, right? And we cannot forget what drove people to the streets. And we cannot forget the rhetoric that encouraged more lawlessness uh, among those against us, right? So I really worry about the idea that we're in olive branch mode uh, against people who are holding guns on us, right? And the thought is, okay, that was good. We had a, you know, a difficult moment, but now we can all go home and and be okay. Uh, Nah, you you don't end a war against your very survival 
which is what this has been with this idea that, you know, let's all shake hands and go sit down. That's what led to the end of reconstruction, mm-hmm. right? Let's all shake hands and, you know, y'all handle this thing with black people any way you want to. That's why a century later, black people were still stuck in segregation. Yeah, I'm not ready for that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hope that millions of people become aware of our history mm-hmm. so that they are equally vigilant not to do the let bygones be bygones, but actually dismantle the capacity to take over the country in the way that this lawlessness allowed Trump and Trumpism to do. I think that's the heavy lift we have right now. We got to do it while we celebrate. We got to work and celebrate at the same time. Deconstruction, not reconstruction. Yes. Uh, I mean, I could talk to you forever, but thank you um, for being here. It does feel like a moment where we are, we've spent four years, hopefully with a lot of people doing homework Mm -hmm. and now it's time for the test. It's time for the test. And if you if you don't pass the test, just know that your homework was not done. <laughs> right? <laughs> you were not done. <laughs> so, you know, no shame in your game. Just go back and keep working on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you again for being here. Thank it's an you. Honor. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. So over the weekend, we were sort of prepared for this news. In fact, we had plenty of tributes already to Alex Trebek that were fabulous, but still it felt completely sudden. It felt completely unwelcome. Uh, The man himself died at the age of 80. He last taped Jeopardy episodes two weeks ago. So he was up and running and extremely sharp till the end. But man, you know, just at this point, the definitive game show host of all time. I'm sorry, Bob Barker. Um, (laughs) And we'll talk about his legacy a little bit. Much like we talked about Regis's death a couple months ago, which was uh, in some ways equally super tough. But the first thing about this that jarred me was that, you know how like when a celebrity is terminally ill, you sort of get the arguably tabloidy updates about how it's really close to the end. You know, when like Patrick Swayze or Farrah Fawcett dies, there's this kind of like, you know, it's going to be 48 hours or whatever. Well, lo and behold, Alex just up and died and we didn't get the prep. So that was shocking. The fact that it was 36 hours after the news of um, Biden's victory felt really bizarre. And... Well, I guess I'll start with you two guys. Like, I'm like the Jeopardy super fan here who, you know, knows everything about him. I've met the man, um, was on the show once upon a time, like uh, so many of my friends. So we were all talking about him. You've been memed. That's, oh yeah, I, I am. Oh my God. Uh, th- it is. The snap. 
My favorite moment, <laughs> my favorite Louis Vuitton moment. No, if I die, there's going to be a gif of it on my tombstone. Like, there's no, yes. I don't have a name anymore. It's just that. <laughs> what are your Alex Trebek impressions? What was your reaction to that news? You want to see my impression? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, here we Get go. the mustache out. Yeah. You haven't done a Canadian accent. <laughs> NBC, get ready. Here's a successor. <laughs> um, you know, one thing about Jeopardy, uh, and it's interesting that you brought up Regis Philbin, right? When I talked about how uh, important Regis was to black folks, like we were just <laughs> watching that show at home, you know? Jeopardy too. I feel like what Jeopardy really did was it made being smart, um, it made knowing facts, it made thinking about facts and, and like wanting to know the answers to things, it made it fun. Uh, and I truly just remember sitting at home watching Jeopardy with the family, like people who probably wouldn't otherwise like care about these facts, you know, and like wouldn't like run towards them if there were like a forum happening on them on campus or something. But my family would like sit around watching Jeopardy. And I'm sure so many people in America have that particular experience because i mean it's a long-running fucking show right (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. people were like not everyone who watched it um could compete on jeopardy so Mm. uh obviously there was some entertainment value in watching this and um i don't know it just was a mainstay and there's just some particular joy in sitting there knowing the answer shouting it out with your friends um there's a reason why so many pieces of pop culture, film and TV have scenes with Jeopardy in it. Oh yeah, the legendary cameos. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a cliche at this point where some character in a TV show or movie is watching Jeopardy and like they know the answers already. Groundhog Day, you got White yeah. Man Can't Jump, Golden Girls, mm-hmm. Cheers, yeah. so many classic examples. All with yeah. Alex and oh, Yeah, all of them have Alex in them. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. a easy way to sort of show that a character is smart. Right, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Tropy almost. It's like they're je- yeah, Tropy. Jeopardy is playing in the background, and if someone just like has that answer while they're doing something else, they're usually they're usually looking down, but then they look up and just like right. say it, blase. Yeah, mm-hmm. they look up. <laughs> it's Myanmar. The person sitting next <laughs> to them does a slow turn, and then you realize, oh, that person's smart. It's just like in yeah. um. All music biopics, there's always the scene where you hear the um, band like play or sing for the first time, and you see every exec and every person in the audience watching them, the slow zoom. Who's that kid? <laughs> <laughs> Aida, were you ever Jeopardy-oriented in your life? This is clearly an enormous loss for the world, not just, you know, America. But I'm so tied to, I was in academic decathlon and quiz bowl and like knowing things and knowing trivial facts was a, an intrinsic part of my childhood. As you guys know, I was not allowed to watch a lot of television, mm-hmm. but every day at 4.30 when I came home, you know Alex Trebek was on. My mom and I were watching it and we were competing back and forth to see who could answer the most questions. It was a huge part of our lifestyle. Like my mom and I really bonded over this. And he has an, a flawless, untouchable career. Like, that's another thing. And my first television reference of Alex Trebek is actually a Family Guy reference where they talk about, I don't know if you guys remember this, where they, where they talk about how the only way to defeat Alex Trebek is to, like, say his name backwards because he's quite literally an alien, not from this country, <laughs> not from this planet. And I think they tapped into something. He's Mr. Mix Your Flick. <laughs> they tapped into something. They tapped into something there. But what really endeared me mostly to Alex Trebek, which I didn't think that he could do, beyond 
that long lasting career on Jeopardy was how candid and vulnerable he became when he was speaking about his cancer diagnosis. Uh, he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer about a week before the pandemic started. I remember because I think that that put a, a jolt into the entire matrix. <laughs> everything, everything started to spiral down after that. But he made it a point to go into interviews and talk very openly about how he felt and how give us updates about what was going on. And that that is when that was when I really, really felt for Alex Trebek. But yeah, Jeopardy will always have a great... I would always put Jeopardy on like on a first date so I could be the character in the movie. So I could be like, <laughs> yeah, baby, Mesopotamia. I'm a smart one. Look at that. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I had a first date once with a guy who's like, oh, I'm really good at trivia. And I was like, oh, no, you don't understand. I'm sure. really good at trivia. And we watched Jeopardy and he was doing extraordinarily well. And then later he admitted he taped it earlier that day and watched it. How fucking crazy is that? Oh, that's some shit I'd pull. Oh, no, that's yeah. Some shit I'm just I'd saying pull. it's real. It happened to me. It's hilarious. That, by the way, is another one of those tropes. Yeah, right. In the show. It's always the person who like, oh my God, you're so smart. And then it's revealed that they... Um, Fraud. Watched right. it earlier. Pre-taped it. Yeah. And now Netflix <laughs> changed the whole game because they put them all up there. So now I'm just like replaying episodes and playing them with friends. It's success on Netflix, by the way, should not go unnoticed. I mean, like what you're taught, what you guys are talking about it, like sitting and watching with your family. It's like, I don't know how many people really sit down on purpose and watch Jeopardy. It is such a slickly run show. It is so entertaining. And Alex at the hub of it, I think based on the suggestions I've heard for who should replace him, people underestimate the skill set involved. It's really kind of like conducting an orchestra, like the amount of sound effects that come in, like things have to go at a certain pace. You never lose that pace. You keep the contestants in order. You keep the audience in line. You you know, it's it's, it's a lot of... It's formulaic in the way. you have, He's yeah. witty as well. He's funny. Like every time he speaks to the new contestant, he's always got something sharp to say. Yeah. He's always listening in his ear. Once you explain to me, Lewis, how Jeopardy is run, like the actual logistics of it, first of all, I think anybody's jaw would be dropped to fully understand how Jeopardy runs and how the contestants have to buzz in and all of that, you know, the fun part of it. But how does he do all of that at once? How is he juggling all of that while also being fine as hell? Yep. Right. Got it. <laughs> he, he did look great up until the end, too. The gray hair made him even look better, but those photos of him, like, come through. Old, old school Trebek in the 70s. I remember when the, there was the game show network on cable. Oh, yes. I would watch random reruns of Double Dare. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the old uh, Double Dare. This is pre Mark Summers. This was a 70s yeah, game family show. Family Double Dare. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a weird show where there are uh, experts that contestants have to be. There was no slime on the Trebek version. <laughs> By the way, this I, I should point out that Alex Trebek hosted a whole bunch of other game shows. At one point, he had three on TV at the same time. He was also the host of Classic Concentration, uh, To Tell the Truth. Uh, he hosted the Geography Bee for years. He was just obsessed with knowledge and passing it along. And by the way, if you want to revisit all of this, there's an amazing new book called Answers in the Form of Questions by this woman, Claire McNear. It is so definitive. It gets you into not just the history of Jeopardy, but explains things like, do you guys remember when three contestants didn't recognize Tom Hanks and that went viral? Yes. Like she, yes. Un she uncovered that that was actually due to a buzzer malfunction that they had to oh. basically toss it out. And like, you would never know that if you didn't read this book. There's lots of awesome trivia in here. Uh, I just want to say that there's the, the, 
calm authority of Alex. I think his biggest accomplishment is being gimmick free after 40 years. Nothing mm-hmm. he did was ever like, oh, I wink at the camera or I have a zany catchphrase or anything like that. He really believed the contestants were the stars and that's why we loved him. You could really, the palpable faith he had and the people who are answering the questions I think is the most exciting thing about him. And it's telling, by the way, that the discussions about who replaces him outside of Ken Jennings, who, you know, I will entertain that option, are people like newscasters. You know, it's not like anybody's saying, you know, someone in the vein of like a Drew Carey replacing Bob Barker. No one's suggesting Mm -hmm. things like that. People really want a professorial quality. And if this were the 70s or 80s, there'd be a whole bunch of other candidates who have the same job and moving to Jeopardy would be a lateral move. But like game shows, Mm -hmm. we don't have those anymore. Like, you know, people like... Uh, the great Tom Kennedy who just died, uh, Jim Perry, all those famous names of the past. Wink Martindale is still with us, thank God. (laughs) I'm very interested to see who it should be going forward. And I'm going to say again, I am rooting for you, Meredith Vieira. I fucking love Meredith Vieira. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that's the correct choice. Alex had said something about Betty White at a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not prepared to like you know, get boarded up for another loss anytime soon. So. Uh, well, you uh, want the show on for a week, Aida? <laughs> 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 the new, new Jeopardy. Um. <laughs> George Stephanopoulos apparently gunning for it. That's an option I don't want. We would also be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that uh, one of the main reasons Jeopardy is so big in pop culture uh, is because Sean Cottery just died recently. And mm-hmm. of course, who can forget the Jeopardy sketches on SNL. Mm -hmm. Hilarious from the start. Also, such a good take on Alex because he's essentially playing the straight man in that bit, but still gets to be hilarious, which is kind of a Mm -hmm. rare setup. Yeah. I think we all grew up with people impersonating um, Sean Connery on uh, (laughs) SNL. Um, And by the way, talk about we talk about the grace with which Alex dealt with his cancer diagnosis. Talk about the grace he dealt with people constantly bringing up fucking Sean Connery to him. I mean, it's literally a character on a show that has nothing to do with him, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the loss to me is still incalculable. I kind of can't wrap my head around it. There are still new episodes of Jeopardy. I'm watching new Alex Trebek content every day. The man is a consummate pro. How far do they tape ahead? Usually a month and a half or two months. Mm -hmm. Um, It might be a little bit different with the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. I hope whoever takes over relishes seeing contestants perform their best because I believe that is his signature quality. So thank you for everything, Alex. I mean, God, you were on TV since before I was born. And as you know, I was born in the early 30s. Yeah, Great Depression era, Verto. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to get Lewis to love you is to be a celebrity from before he was born. That's exactly, you, you have got it. Sorry, Zendaya. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I just want to add that Vanna White wrote a very cute little uh, Instagram post about Alex Trebek, so go check that out. Anyway, Ira, what's next? <laughs> it's Keep It. We'll be right back. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. We've been a little celebratory this week, so mm-hmm. trying to be rude again. <laughs> Let's muster something mean. Hmm. I want to feel hmm. like myself. <laughs> Aida, why don't you go first this week? Okay, mine's short and kind of predictive. Like, maybe I really have no reason to be mad about this yet, but I can feel it coming. It's nigh. Okay, this is one of the first times in all of history, now that it's 2020, that I think that we're going to have a woman in a political position, and I'm pretty confident that her physical appearance will be less of a topic of conversation. 
But for anyone who needs to hear it, this is an advanced keep it for articles about Kamala's hair and her makeup and the clothes that she's wearing. Like, I don't need to see any articles about her and her pantsuits and the shoes she's wearing. I don't want to see any of that. And, like, I don't want to spend the next four, potentially plus years, seeing online conversations about any of it. Yeah, she has an Indian mother. She has a Jamaican father. But, like, we do not need to have conversations about her hair or her, if she's potentially wearing a wig. I hope she does wear a wig. <laughs> I, hope, I hope Kamala shows up in, like, like a young Miami lime green city girls wig <laughs> right right next to Joe Biden. And, and I hope there's, n- there's nobody writing about it at all. Like, let's just normalize her looking like a bad bitch doing whatever she wants. Counterpoint, she is a bad bitch and Kamala is gorgeous. She deserves articles. And we should say yes, it. Yes, sorry. I should say <laughs> that she deserves articles that are like, oh, look at this. Here's a list of all the things she's wearing if y'all want to look like this bad bitch. But mm-hmm. I don't want to see anything critical I don't, I don't want, like, the, the kinds of conversations that we have about AOC and her involvement in pop culture, I don't want to see those critiques about Kamala. Even though I am mad about her going on Complex to buy some shoes. <laughs> but beyond that, beyond that, she should be able to live her life. And I need the timeline to just stay quiet on, on that front. On that front. They are really going to keep pushing this narrative about her shoe game, aren't they? And I'm like... <laughs> It's, it's really not that impressive. Girl, they are Converse. <laughs> she went on a complex sneaker shopping and bought Converse. I'm so mad at her. Right. Let's point out that t- when she was getting off the plane, you know, uh, in the boots, they were Timberlands. They weren't Tims. <laughs> you know. She said, I'm mixed. I'm half a nigga. Don't get it twisted. I'm still going to mess this up somehow. <laughs> they were some very cute Timberlands, you know, but it, I, I wasn't about to see her, you know, um, up in the Bronx. No, you got to be stomping around in the wheat-colored Tims. That's it. Or the black ones. Yeah. That's all you get. With the tag still attached, like a Chicago nigga. Okay, I'm done. But anyway, yeah, that's my keep it. And Lewis, do you have a keep it? Uh, I do have to say, every time Kamala Harris wears something, I kind of think, I think my mom would really like that. Anyway, mom, if you're, <laughs> if you're listening, I think Kamala's a good style guide for you. Anyway, moving I on. I mean, she looks comfortable and rich. In the outfit that she gave that speech in on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right, right. Also, so here we go. What, what color was that? See, I'm going to go ahead and have the conversation. Yeah, you want me to have? No, is it pearl? It, it. Okay, I want to know the color it of that suit. It was a crew. She said it's th- a crew. <laughs> oh, she did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, she didn't. She didn't. Oh. But, but I, um, uh, a little girl did love that pantsuit, and that little girl was me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, my keep it's are uh, also somewhat brief this week. Uh, first of all, keep it to HBO's The Undoing. I had so-so feelings about it to begin with because I felt like it's the new limited series with Nicole Kidman. Um, and I'm obviously thrilled to see Nicole Kidman in any capacity. And truly, maybe nobody works more. I mean, she's always got something to promote. But it had the feeling of like, what's that horrible Emily Blunt movie? The Girl on the Train? already where it's just does she not know something super fucking critical going on or she forgot something she did in her past or we're going to spend this entire fucking series mining what she forgot i just feel like i have seen that too many times it feels to me beneath nicole kidman who i if i'm gonna watch her do her terrified whispering which is her signature i need the stakes to be better or more interesting also i don't know who is filming the actors on this show routinely nicole kidman looks 11 foot four like, she's standing next to somebody in a magenta trench coat looking like she is a tree. And I 
feel it, it's awkward to see because I, I mean, obviously she's a tall person to begin with, but there are plenty of actors who are tall and like I don't watch Sigourney Weaver in a movie and she's around people who are all five foot seven. It feels like a very weird choice to me. Well, it's a throwback to uh, her marriage to Tom. I guess, <laughs> yeah. Maybe she's trying to roast him now. I do not know. Um, but my other keep it this week is to the bad boys at Eli Lilly who – they have a new COVID-19 antibody therapy, which got emergency FDA clearance. The drug is called Bamlanivimab. Uh-uh. <laughs> Take it back. What? <laughs> I can't be sounding like the teacher from Charlie Brown reciting a fucking drug. <laughs> Bamlanivimab? I'm walking into CVS like, can I just have a batch of that? I sound like I am on drugs. I sound like I'm out of control. It sounds like a minor character in Gulliver's fucking travels. <laughs> I know that drugs have weird names, but we also have to use the English language in the way where we, we like to say the words mm. because they're important. And B-A-M-L-A-N-I-V-I-M-A-B sounds like, first of all, it's not a palindrome and looks like one, which is very frustrating. Please, if well, you're going to put the B at the beginning at the end, let's get some symmetry going on. At least now we know what Nikki was saying in um, <laughs> Roman Holiday. That's so weird. I just watched this. Maybe I, maybe, did you post something with that recently? No. <laughs> oh, I was just Roman Holiday. Literally, I was listening to. How strange. <laughs> but anyway, it's a strange fucking word that almost has Vanna White in the middle of it. I uh, <laughs> am blown away and don't know why they would do this to, to me. So Eli Lilly, and you know I trust you, girl. We're friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she even says, take your medication, Roman, in that song. So... <laughs> Let's ask Eli if he's a barb. Yeah. Channing, and she got Manning Eli. <laughs> what song is that? What song is that? Uh, that's Roman's that's Revenge. That's Roman's Revenge. Oh, my God. Is she a prophet? Uh, is Nicki Minaj a prophet? I think she's more responsible for the vaccine than Trump is. I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> um, I have two keep-its this week, I just realized. Because one of them is for Louis fucking Vertel. What did I do? Uh-huh. Here she is, me. Let me tell you that the Queen's Gambit is it. Oh, I love these. It's it. Oh, I love keeping it fights. It is it. Now, wait, did you see the whole thing? Did you see the whole thing? I watched the entire thing. All right. Well, then it you should know better. It was sexy. It was sumptuous. I, first of all, I love the dialogue. I think that, first of all, you were saying that, like, yeah, she plays chess. What else? But I found it such a fun uh, and gentle character dive that I didn't mind. The chess scenes were thrilling and I just really loved seeing a show about people who were really good at something and were generally very nice to each other. Um, And the writer and director of The Queen's Gambit was Scott Frank, who wrote Out of Sight, Minority Mm. Report, Logan, Mm -hmm. and I just had that same feel of like, it felt like I was watching Out of Sight but in the world of chess. Interesting. Okay, my thing is, I felt they made her basically a flawless character, except for the addiction. So I felt like she was navigating all these social situations flawlessly with all these like cardboard pseudo-villains. Like the twins who come up at the beginning are like, you can't come in here and play chess. This is for chess players. Or whatever they fucking <laughs> said to her. To, that didn't dissuade her, that she immediately you know, strutted right on past. Um, my favorite thing about the show, aside from her performance, which is definitely great, Anya Taylor-Joy, fabulous. Anya Taylor-Joy, actually. 
I learned that when I did that New Mutants panel. It was like, it's not Anya, and it's not Enya. It's Anya. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the, my favorite thing is the face of the final chess guy. They could not have <laughs> cast that better. Borgov. Borgov. Yeah. <laughs> that looks like a man who, yeah. you know, sees the world in zeros and ones in a frightening way. She is fantastic. Uh, her facial expressions. I'm waiting for the um, Chloe impersonation on SNL. Just like when she would oh, lean yes. forward with her head <laughs> tilting, touching her neck. I really thought it was just sort of this like really interesting portrayal of obviously a genius. If you could play like that, you're amazing. And if you're one of the best fucking players in the world, like there's not going to be much that can be done to trip you up. But I thought it really examined the fact that what tripped her up were her own insecurities, the fact that she was an orphan, you know, like the past with her mother and the addiction was tied into her childhood in a way that it made her think that like she was only good because of it. And I thought that was the flaw that she really had to sort of overcome. And I love Jolene on the show, uh, who was her best friend, um, the black girl who was an orphan with her and then shows up later in the series, delivers actually the funniest line in the series. Oh, right. To right, me. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to ruin it for people, but um, I want to see more of her. And yeah, Taylor Doy d- definitely has a bewitching, like, mm-hmm. Amelie slash Bjorkish quality about mm-hmm. her facial mm-hmm. expressions. So it's that's mm-hmm. certainly entrancing throughout. Oh, Mariel Heller. Mariel Heller, too. She looks part deer, which is my yeah. favorite part yeah. about her. <laughs> <laughs> and in this movie, looks a lot like Emma Stone. With the red hair. There's a promotional still on the net, on Netflix where she is a dead ringer for Emma Stone. And I wonder if they did that on purpose. Like Probably. people wondering if, they, of if there's an Emma Stone thing they haven't seen anyway. Is that that slightly aerial shot of her where it's still just like red hair and doughy eyes? Yeah. And you think, oh, Emma. Okay, yeah. I do Looks know. just like her. And I think mm-hmm. I may like her better than Emma. And I love Emma. Too early to tell. Oh. I've loved many oh. Emma performances. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a lot of Anya performances that you got to check out, though, baby. True. Have you seen Thoroughbreds? Oh yes, that movie. I don't know what I think of it. I mean, I think the movie is sort of take it or leave it, but the performances in it are like riveting. Yes. Um, the, sorry, we keep we keep glossing over the fact that Mario Heller, Miss Director herself, is also in this as um, Anya's mom, uh, adopted mom, and she is. Brilliant and has a wonderful look for the period too. I love it when they nail things like that. Uh, but yes, she's the director of "Can You Ever Forgive Me" and uh, "A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood" uh, and and the very overlooked "Diary of a Teenage Girl," which we fucking mm-hmm. love. So, um, but anyway, I f- loved Queen's Gambit, and I honestly can't wait to watch it again. So, that, well, you'll be playing solitaire on that one. I'll be playing <laughs> chess with the greats over here. And I'll be waiting for the Jolene spinoff. And then I'll make it through the rest of the season. So my other keep it is to an actress that Lewis and I shared screen time with this year. Oh, true. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it is Kiki Palmer. (laughs) Now, what did she do? Wait, what what, what were you in? What were you in with Kiki Palmer? And where and why am I lost? It was a show called Taylor Time, where she was basically playing different versions of the Kardashians. It was a Facebook watch television show that Lewis and I shot in the mm. Keep It studio. We taped a segment where we're talking about her character, Barbie, and Kiki watches us on her phone. Oh, that's cute. You were supposed to be on it. You weren't available. I recall this now. Yeah. yeah. I did yeah. miss the taping. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
Well, good, good. Get in this, keep it. I'm sure I'll be happy I missed the taping. Listen, sorry to this woman, <laughs> but <laughs> Kiki started going in uh, about like how she was excitedly talking about Kamala's win um, and how she already had some ideas for her that she came up with during a conversation with her friends. Kiki said, imagine if your EBT card could only work on healthy items. Oof. And oof, then started oof. to say, Kamala, can we have EBT cards swipe free on healthy items? Imagine. I know that she likes to talk. Mm-hmm. I know that she's always got a take on everything. She is maybe the most hardworking person in Hollywood because she is constantly on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's probably co-hosting Pod Save America right now. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that you would hop on Twitter and start talking about EBT cards, first of all, it just don't look good for someone with that much money to be in poor people's business. I mean, why are you even in the conversation, ma'am? And the concern is specifically shaming poor people for... the. Yes. Somewhat petty choices they're making. Policing people's food. It's not top of mind when I'm thinking about poverty. You're policing people's food and also ignoring the idea of like food deserts. You know? Yes. So many people who are on EBT who need government assistance for food live in areas where there aren't healthy options. You know? It would be great if a fucking Whole Foods were to pop up in the hood, but they don't do that. You know, they keep them in white neighborhoods, in suburbs, and then people are shamed for coming into that area to even try and get food. And then there's the conversation of what what are we defining as healthy too? Right. It's very vague. Healthy to me might not be healthy to you. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but like maybe she has swallowed too much Caucasian spit and like this is getting <laughs> like, but reminder, that, first of all, that's not even the offense. Her, this is this coming fresh off the heels of her snogging a Caucasian, which is not the offense. You know, kiss your white men. Ira, I'm looking at you because you're looking at Charlie Puth. But, um, uh, <laughs> but uh, the real, the real offense is like, you have clearly forgotten where you came from. True Jackson. You have forgotten that you are such a wealthy, rich person that you, that in practice, like, at its face value, that is a fine, I think, assessment to make. That they should only be able to use your EBT on healthy food. But there should be healthy food accessible to everybody in America, which there fucking is not. Sorry, I'm, I don't mean to take your keep it, but this, no, this show with Kiki Palmer got me so pressed, bro. She had a response to that, too, being like, damn, I thought it was a nice suggestion, considering I know so many people Boo. could so like they can't afford the healthy food with their EBT cards. Um, everybody don't feel the same. That's okay. I'm like, how many people you know that's on EBT then, Kiki? Yeah. Yeah, feels very short-sighted. And <laughs> if, if, my fr- if my friend can't afford right. dinner, I'm taking him a sweet green. <laughs> it reminds me of the fact that um, I had to write an article once dragging Kiki because if you remember, she used to always say this phrase, and the gag is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a period where she kept pretending like basically she invented it. She's like on Jimmy Fallon explaining what the gag is meant, like basically trying to trademark it. And girl, that is black ballroom culture. (laughs) And black gay people online were like, girl, you did not come up with this and you're not even using it correctly. And she was so defensive and doubling down um, and snapping at people in the same way that she was doubling down on this EBT shit. I'm like, Kiki, you just go host something. 
Just go <laughs> act in something. We do not need the thoughts. I do typically fucking love her. So when Same. people of, of that caliber yeah. slip up like that or whatever. It's so easy to say nothing. That's unfortunate. You know what? It's not it's not easy to say nothing. People feel <laughs> yeah. they should contribute. And so they're like, is is this just enough to get into the conversation? And often they're wrong. No, you know what, Lewis? It is easy to say nothing because Aida tried to drag me. I don't think I didn't hear you bring what up Charlie Puth. <gasps> just a moment ago. He is he is currently on my list. Ooh. For because let me tell you something. You know I fucking love Charlie Puth. The music is great. And he's me too. Cute. Yes, of course. He's talented. I just think that that it is very odd for a man who posts on Instagram as much as he does, for a man whose Instagram stories are in abundance, for a man who is constantly going live, that not once this year did he tell people to vote. Right. Not once did he bring up who he voted for either. And I'm like, it is suspicious. And I'm not accusing Mm. him of being a Trumper, but I do know that that has been a rumor for a while. Um, that this old Facebook page of his, you know, like revealed that he was pro-Trump or like followed some alt-right sites. And I'm like, I just want to know what's going on. Because if we can drag Chris Pratt for that, and if we we spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about the fact that um, Taylor Swift was being silent, right? Especially with that mm-hmm. large following that she has. It would be rude of me to not keep the same energy for a man. So, Charlie, who did you vote for? I, I think that is the crux of the situation where men weirdly slip under the radar in this regard. There's something mm-hmm. more conspicuous to people when a woman isn't speaking out. Like, well, it's it, it, it sort of ties into like that Hillary paranoia of like, if she's double crossing me, it would be humiliating. You know, whereas with like men, we just expect them to be disloyal and horrible all the time. Right. And it's like, oh, you're voting against your own interests. But I'm like, we talk about the 53% of white women and even more voted for Trump this time, the 55%. But we're not going to ignore the white men who voted for Trump. You know, that is the main problem. It's white men constantly sinking America into fascism and crumbling our democracy. So if you're going to be a pop star, let's hear it. Because as much as we drag (laughs) Justin Timberlake, he came out for like Hillary and shit. Like he will tell you who Mm -hmm. he's voting for, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just want to keep that same energy that we kept for Taylor Swift um, until she finally told – people um why she was silent about who she was voting for i mean if you got selena gomez admitting that she only voted for the first time in 2020 charlie poof can tell us who the fuck he voted for yeah he went to the berkeley school of music so i'm sure he's like privy to politics you know i might be we might be charlie poof truthers Mm. (laughs) it might be that he really is what is the truth i just want (laughs) to know so i can keep standing (laughs) Do you know how upsetting it will be for me to not be able to listen to how long anymore? I do think we are the appropriate distance from him. I, 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 I worry you're never going to find out that he is secretly extremely rad. I do worry about that, but we'll see. I'm heartbroken. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> well, it's for the whirlwind of a week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, please. <laughs> Don't do this to me. This bitch is whimpering. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's our show. Thank it you to be. Kimberly Crenshaw for being here. And don't forget 
that Vote Save America will soon be launching an effort to support the two Senate races in Georgia. We are talking about Warnock. We are talking about Ossoff. Keep an eye out for that because we will be taking back the Senate. Our work is not done here. (laughs) Fuck yes. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our digital team is Nadine Malconian and Milo Kent. Thank you to Brian Sebel for production support every week. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.